I'm Nuria Martinez-Keel, and you're listening to The Source. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the Oklahomans' most impactful stories with the reporters who wrote them. The debate over reparations for victims of the Tulsa Race Massacre and their descendants was the undercurrent across the massacre's 100-year anniversary. Tulsa's historically black Greenwood District was destroyed by a white mob in 1921. As the eyes of the nation fixed on Greenwood, the issue of repaying what was lost came under the microscope. The Oklahoman's Faith editor, Carla Hinton, is with me today. Carla, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So let me start by asking this. How much time did you spend in Tulsa for the anniversary of the 1921 race massacre? And during that time, how often did you hear folks bring up reparations? Well, we were there six six nights from uh, like Wednesday to to to, uh, to the following Wednesday, and I will tell you that there was not one activity or event that I went to that the idea of reparations was not floated. And we're calling for truth, reparations, respect, and repair. You can kill the people, but you cannot kill the voice of the blood. And the blood can't rest until reparations come. There's a call to action this weekend, and it's simply justice, and it's simply restitution. Greenwood was an affluent and wealthy African-American community in Tulsa, so much so that it garnered the nickname Black Wall Street. Uh, A mob of white Tulsans burned houses and buildings one by one, block by block, until 1,200 homes and dozens of businesses were left in ruins. Has anyone ever been able to put a dollar figure to the damage and economic loss? You know, I don't I don't think that they have. Um, There have been maybe some some estimates over the years. But one of the one of the reasons why it has been hard to do that, because they there's this sense that what was lost was generational wealth. In other words, we're not talking about just the the, the money and the buildings, uh, the businesses that the the survivors lost or the the victims lost uh, when the mobs burned down their businesses and basically their livelihoods. We're also talking about uh, the fact that they with 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 the loss of those businesses and and their livelihood these are things that they couldn't pass down to the next generation and then that generation could not pass down to the next generation and so on and so forth so then you then you can think to yourself what what an enormous figure that would be right because you're talking about some things are going to be uh maybe uh tangible and there are going to be some things that are intangible right there's a lawsuit over the massacre pending against the city of Tulsa and other local government entities. Uh, The plaintiffs who are the most front and center are the three last known living survivors of the massacre. They're all over 100 years old. When they sue for reparations, do they want direct payments or reparations in another form? How have they explained what, what they're hoping to see from that? From what I understand, they want and both. <laughs> they want... Uh, direct payments made to survivors and their descendants, and then also uh, victims, the, their descendants. But they also would like to see uh, some money funneled into the uh, North Tulsa area, where they say there has been blighted uh, due to the events of the Tulsa Race Massacre. But then when the community rebuilt, you know, they rebuilt, which was a, a triumph, um uh, through urban renewal and some other things, the highway department ran a highway through it. And that, you know, that can 
bite almost any place. So they're wanting to see reparations for those kind of things. And then they'd also like to see some some things happen through the educational uh, process, maybe some more money uh, funneled into education there, particularly for black black Tulsans in the North Tulsa area. I'm here seeking justice, and I'm asking my country to acknowledge what happened in Tulsa in 1921. 107-year-old Viola Fletcher survived the massacre as a child, and she testified before the U.S. Congress last month. How did she explain the impact the attack had on the rest of her life, especially economically? From what I understand, uh, Mother Fletcher talked about, you know, coming from uh, a fairly affluent uh, family, you know, they had everything they needed and the future was bright. Uh, and then after the, the, the massacre, they were impoverished and they, they, she didn't ever, they didn't ever really fully recover, uh, you know, from that, that devastation in terms of finance, finances. Greenwood should have given me the chance to make truly make it in this country. Within a few hours, all of that was gone. When my family was forced to leave Tulsa, I lost my chance of an education. I never finished school past the fourth grade. Most of my life, I was a domestic worker serving white families. I never made much money, but to this day, I can barely afford my everyday needs. While you were in Tulsa, you actually got to talk with another survivor who's also over 100 years old. What did she have to say? I did. So I talked to uh, Lessie Benefield Randall, who's known as uh, Mother Randall. She is 106 and very lucid and very charming. And one of the things that she said, she talked a lot about forgiveness, um, which I thought that was that was awesome that she has a, a, a heart to forgive. But she also said that the the person who needs forgiveness or or who is in need of forgiveness needs to at least acknowledge that that there was a right there was a wrong that was committed and so she did say to me she said this world and things that are happening are mucked up she said they're they're mucked up and she just thinks that only god is going to be able to solve the problems now god is the judge of that and now he'll know what to do with that sir but i i feel like Everyone makes a mistake. And if you would admit that you made that mistake and are able to uh, try to correct it, I think that's what God wants you to do. Did she recall much of the race massacre itself? She 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 talked generally. She said that, you know, she, she remembers... A, a, a few things, but she just remembers uh, being afraid, and she also remembered that it was something that she couldn't have imagined, you know, had it not happened to her family. And she said that it was it was just something that you would never think would happen. Yes, I was afraid. I didn't know what was going on. It just and I just thought it was kind of silly how people. Couldn't get along better than that. I never want to go through anything like that anymore. The attorneys representing the survivors and descendants talked about how the massacre has continuing harm. And Carla, you touched on the loss of generational wealth uh, in North Tulsa because of this massacre. 
Who did you talk to from that legal team and, and how did they explain what they mean by continuing harm? The main person that I, that I spoke with through a series of interviews, maybe uh, two, and then also I was at the uh, news conference when they talked about uh, launching the, the lawsuit, um, was Demario Solomon Simmons, the lead attorney on this uh, lawsuit. And, and he told me that he feels like uh, the city of Tulsa and the other defendants in the, in the lawsuit have not acknowledged that the acts of the May 31st and June 1st, you know, 1921 are, it was a cause and effect. You know, they caused this whole area of town, this affluent black community, uh, to have to suffer repercussions, negative repercussions for years and years and years. And so that's that's what he's talking about when he talks about um, this whole idea of continuing harm. Number one, because there hasn't been an acknowledgement that it's ca- there's been continued harm caused. But also, he like I said, he talked about education. He talked about poverty, too. That was a big thing. Well, just last night, we released new data, new research, Well, the Justice for Greenwood Foundation released some devastating new numbers. For example, right here in Tulsa today, the median net worth wealth of white Tulsans is $145,000. The median wealth for black Tulsans is only $8,000. It's more than six times the wealth disparity than the nationwide average. This is what we're talking about. This is why museums, this is why plaques, this is why trees, this is why murals, all of that is good, but we must eradicate the wealth gap. And he thinks that is all part of this continuing harm uh, that, that started from or stemmed from the race massacre. And the survivors' legal team is hoping that a major settlement over the opioid epidemic could be a precedent for their fight for reparations. How might those two cases be connected? Well, they said that uh, the the state of Oklahoma, when they successfully uh, sued the pharmaceutical companies um, regarding the opioid abuse epidemic here, they said that they were able to show cause and effect. Um, they were able to connect the connect the connect the dots, and they said the attorneys for the survivors said that they are going to be able to do the same thing. But they want their day in court. That's the, there. There's a chance that uh, they won't get that because the city of Tulsa and the other defendants are actually have already asked the judge to dismiss the case, and so they just want their day in court because they feel like they're going to be able to show cause and effect with all these different uh, numbers, statistics, and and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see to see what happens. They, they, they laid it out for the news media, you know, for us at a, at a recent news conference. We believe that the massacre ignited the nuisance that exists today in Tulsa, specifically in North Tulsa, and all of the policies and practices that have been implemented by the defendants have elevated and exacerbated the public nuisance. For example, urban renewal. These policies pushed black people out of their homes. It made them poorer than their white neighbors. A highway was constructed right right over there, cutting North Tulsa away from South Tulsa, taking resources, opportunity. And because we have a test case, because we have uh, the state and the city of Tulsa who have demonstrated 
that acts such as uh, these, societal injustices, that they can be remedied through the statute, we believe that we are right on the law in order to equate the societal injustice of the massacre and its continuing harm. We know not everyone in Tulsa is supportive of the idea of reparations. Uh, Tulsa Mayor G.T. Bynum has said he's against it. Uh, the issue of reparations seems to have split members of the Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission, which uh, really was one of the leading organizations that uh, commemorated the 100-year anniversary. What are some of the reasons people are against this? Well, from what I understand, uh, uh, many people are against it because they feel like if if you pay reparations through some uh, government entity, they feel like they would basically be paying for something that they didn't do. They'll they'll be pun they're being punished for something that they physically didn't do. Um, it doesn't matter that it might have been their ancestors or, or or what have you. They did not physically do it. They did not do it, and it's something that they wouldn't have agreed with or so they say they wouldn't have agreed with with what happened and so they just feel like that it's not something that they should should pay for i i think that some of those same people though are not against doing other things besides making direct payments but the attorneys for the survivors and their descendants uh feel like one of the first things that should happen are direct payments the debate over reparations possibly played a role in the cancellation of the cornerstone anniversary event that 6,000 people were planning on attending. Uh, the event called Remember and Rise was going to feature Stacey Abrams, the voting rights activist, as the keynote speaker and a concert by John Legend. And then it was abruptly canceled only a few days in advance. What happened there and, and how did talk about reparations maybe influence that? Well, from what I understand, the uh, Centennial Commission and the uh, survivors' attorneys had been in in negotiations or, or in contact with each other about the possibility of the survivors, the three survivors, uh, attending Remember and Rise. And uh, uh, Senator Kevin Matthews, who was the chairman of the Centennial Commission, told the news media that the survivors' attorneys contacted the commission and, and said we would like for the survivors to be a part of it. Through some kind of negotiations, they determined that they wanted the survivors to, to get some fun, funding. And uh, initially, from what we're told, the attorneys asked for 100000 per uh, survivor. Now, Senator Kevin Matthews said that uh, when they gave them that money, or they said, okay, we have this money, a couple of days later, they changed it to a $1 million per survivor, which is, you know, a big jump. And I from what I, and they also wanted the survivors attorneys also asked for a pledge from the commission that they would help raise up to 50 million dollars or at least 50 million dollars for the survivors descendants and North Tulsa, you know, to maybe uh, have some of the things that they they wanted to make that area a better place. And there were also some other other things they were wanting. They wanted uh, more say on, on in things that the commission was doing, that that sort of thing. And from what we were told uh, at a news conference by Senator uh, Kevin Matthews was that the commission decided that they did not want to do that. And in fact, they did not want to have any business dealings anymore with the attorneys. I absolutely want the survivors, the descendants, and others that were affected to be financially and emotionally supported. However, this is not the way. We do have the funds raised. 
And if the legal team doesn't bar us from it again, we will be providing those funds directly to the survivors. And where I've had a trouble understanding how the uh, the debate over how much money to pay to the survivors, how that directly is connected to the event getting canceled. Was it a matter of like the headliners pulling out if survivors weren't a part of it? Has that ever even been explained? It hasn't. And, and that is I think that's a big uh, maybe a big mystery right now. But okay, so in their email or or maybe in some of the discussions that the attorneys had with the news media, they inferred that there was someone, maybe an entertainer uh, of some sort, indicated that they really wanted the survivors to be part of it. And if they weren't, then this this person didn't or these people did not want to be part of the the event. As far as I know, I haven't heard that directly said. But, of course, there's all sorts of debate out there. And like I said, I think that's kind of a, a, a mystery out there. You, there are some assumptions that, that I think a lot of people have made. And, you know, that would make sense, right? That, that would make sense. It's still, I, I feel like the, the commission still could have had the event. They just wouldn't have had the survivors there. So it's just, it's kind of, it, it's a very interesting um, dynamic. Very confusing, uh, surprising situation with, again, with only you know less than a week before the event was supposed to happen. Um, but there were plenty of other events and activities going on throughout Greenwood that whole week uh, leading up to the 100 year anniversary. And, and like you said before, Carla, you were saying that every single day, at every single event, people were bringing up the issue of reparations. And these are folks who are obviously considerably younger. They're not all 100-year-old uh, victims of this of this race massacre. These are people who are just looking at this uh, event in history and seeing its uh, long-lasting effects. And they're saying this reparations is the right thing to do. When you're just walking through the streets of Greenwood and hearing people talk about this, what perspective are you hearing from younger generations as to why they think reparations is right? Well, I'll tell you, I, there was a, a lot of anger and passion over this this topic from, like you said, uh, younger people who uh, some of them didn't have a fight in the game, so to speak. Um, they feel like the first thing that should have been done uh, when maybe when the, the, there was talk of this in the early 2000s, right off the bat, reparations should have been given. And then you could talk about entertainment and museums and things like that. I mean, there's this whole group that, that feels that way. There's a, lot, there's a large large number of people, including uh, clergy, um, spiritual leaders. I was at the uh, dedication of the new prayer wall at Mount Vernon uh, uh, AME Church, and that was one of the things that, uh, like, Almost every clergy member, um, a, a, a rabbi, uh, a, a Muslim leader, uh, let's see, lots of national um, figures who who they all talked about there needs to be there needs to be reparations. And so and, you know, congressional leaders, like I said, they came in and, and they said the same thing. So I, I just think that, like you said, there was an undercurrent there. And uh, like you said, none of those people are 100 years old, but they feel like that should be done first and then maybe some other things. And I think that's where the debate comes, and, and there's a divide, like you said. It's going to be interesting. This is not going going anywhere anytime soon. 
although it's not government-paid reparations, there are community groups raising funds for the survivors. Is that right? Yes. Well, we were at a luncheon. We attended a uh, survivor's luncheon that was held, uh, that was hosted by the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Justice for Greenwood uh, Foundation, which uh, Demario Solomon Simmons, the attorney, the survivor's attorney, is involved with, he gave them uh, each uh, survivor $100,000. And I asked him, was this... uh, some form of reparations and he told the luncheon crowd and he also told me personally when I asked him he said this was not reparations he said this was a gift this is just a gift but we make a pledge that we will continue to raise money we will continue to find resources and make sure that when we talk about Greenwood and the massacre we talk about what first the people But also there is a a community group, the uh, Tulsa Metropolitan Ministries, that years ago in the early 2000s when the idea of reparations had gained uh, momentum, uh, they had a reparations project and they gave uh, money to survivors. There were more than. They gave money to survivors and and, and some of their descendants. They decided because of the centennial they were going to do something similar. So they have asked 100 uh, houses of Worship to give $1,000, and they're hoping to raise $100,000. And I believe they're going to give that those funds, uh, $100,000, to the survivors. And po- possibly also some of that money will go to uh, some kind of reconciliation program or event. But uh, they will be giving uh, some direct payments to the survivors uh, probably sometime this summer. But they, too, it's very interesting. Uh, Chris Moore, who is uh, one of the leaders of the Tulsa Metropolitan Ministries, which is a coalition of of uh, interfaith uh, houses of worship, he said that this in no way make up amends for the, the entities that were directly involved with the harm that was caused. There was a, a really a concerted effort from um, the faith community in Tulsa to recognize that the faith community in 1921 had played a role, uh, even in their complicity, in their silence, um, uh, had played a role in that, and so wanted to be part of uh, a reparations uh, effort, um, even if it was a symbolic one. Carla, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. This podcast is possible because of the Oklahomans' subscribers. We encourage you to subscribe if you can. You can read these stories and more every day in The Oklahoman and at oklahoman.com. Check back next Friday for a new episode.